Well, good morning, Encounter Church. We're glad to have each of you joining with us this morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 is where we will be spending our time. And as you're turning there, I'd like to invite Christy Horton uh, to come on up here. Christy is going to share uh, with us just a, a bit about uh, what she has been doing this summer as we have been uh, making this a summer of good news, uh, along with our teaching series here through the book of Acts of We Are Witnesses, and encouraging each of us to look for unique opportunities and different ways in which we can witness, uh, certainly to our neighbors. And so, Christy, I just want to ask you, uh, what is it that you decided to do in your neighborhood uh, to serve as a witness for Christ? Um, I first want to say that I decided not to do it. I, when we had the um, how to share your faith classes, I felt like God was encouraging me to do this, and I kept saying no, um, to invite my neighbors, specifically the women, to come over to my house. I'm an extroverted introvert, and so I work, and I have kids, and I come to church, and I have group on Wednesday nights, and if you know me, I'm I love to talk and I love to hug, but after all that, I need a nap. And Amen. so it was another thing I felt like I was going to put on my plate that I wanted to say no to. But mm. as the evangelism, we are witnesses started, it was more. And there was thumping in my heart when we would have, the pastor would preach and how we can be ministers to our neighbors. And so I said, okay, I'm off on Wednesdays and I'm going to use my Wednesdays. And I came up with Wednesday wake-ups so that it's in the beginning of my day. Um, I can get done with it and then move on with my rest. And so I, my coworkers helped me put a flyer together. And I invited, I sent out 22 invitations where I knew there were ladies in my neighborhood to join me for one hour, 9 to 10 in the morning for coffee and some kind of a dessert just to sit and to talk. And that first one was May and three ladies came, and we had a blast. It, they didn't even leave for two hours. So I knew that they enjoyed themselves. One of my neighbors said, Christy, I have longed for this for so long, and I actually tried to do this with some of the school moms that I know, and nobody would do it. So she was very thankful. Um, but yes, that started Wednesday wake-ups, which are the first Wednesday of every month. And I, we just did our third this past Wednesday. That's great. What have you enjoyed the most about it? Um, I have mostly older ladies. I mean, they've lived in the neighborhood 150 years, and they know everyone. And so it's just fun to hear them talk about life when they started living in their home with elementary school kids, um, talking about the life of the community and who they know and um, hearing about them, who, what, what consists of their days. And we have some moms who their kids are growing and they're doing trips around the world and some moms whose kids are in sports, so I relate to that. Um, but it is just a sweet time getting to know my neighbors. So. And so if, I, if, if when an, a neighbor lady shows up for the Wednesday wake-up, I like that, um, what what should they expect? I mean, what's the format? What, what do you do? Is it um, like <laughs> super had, rigid? Is it? You said several times during the sermon series, what's you need to have an agenda. You need to have a vision and a goal for evangelizing to your neighbors. And I promise you, I've tried. 
But these ladies, I, I don't even, like I've, I asked Marin and my sister the first week, like what are some good questions that I can ask just to get them talking and get to know them. I never had a chance to ask a single one. Like they just want to talk. They want to get to know each other. And um, I think if I had one thing on my heart that I want to see happen is, and I did that this past Wednesday, is expressing to them, I stopped the conversation and I just said, I want you all to know that you're a gift to me. God has placed you in my life as my neighbors as a gift, and I want us to recognize that. But I also just want to, do you mind if I pray over this time and thank him for each of you and for this time? And they all were like, there were five ladies this past Wednesday, and they were very receptive to that. I don't want to like have them show up and me beat them with the gospel, but I pray that as we get to know each other and things start happening, one lady didn't show this week, her daughter had surgery Friday, I was able to text her and say, I'm praying for her this morning, Uh, I care about you, what can we do? Like, if that's it, that they would see Christ through the relationships that are building. Yeah. Uh, What would you say is one way that we as a church can pray for the Wednesday wake-up? I think... The ultimate fruit is that people would, well, we talk about it, that they would be seen, that they would be known, and that they would be loved, but not just from me, but from our God. And that's where I want that to grow and to move is that people come to know Jesus because of this time. Yeah, would there be someone who would be willing to pray for Christy right now? Uh, Just uh, one of you, just say, hey, I'll pray for Christy as she leads the Wednesday wake up and pray that God... Uh, would use it in her community. Who would like to do that before I pick someone, which is when it gets really dangerous? Thank you, Marin. Amen. Thank you, Christy. That is, um, that's what we're called to do, isn't it, church? Is um, right where we're at, uh, right where we're at, right? Whether it be our, our, the address of our home, whether it be uh, the location of our desk at work, uh, wherever we are, just to, to seize that as an opportunity to love well and to then to share the gospel, right? In sharing the gospel, we are loving well. And um, so thank you, Christy, for uh, taking this challenge to really make it a summer of good news and uh, telling others about Jesus. So here we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 20. We've been in the book of Acts now through for over four months, entering our fourth month. And Lord willing, by the end of the summer, we'll uh, wrap it up. Uh, but we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 20 where uh, Paul is, is on his third missionary journey as we've learned, and uh, we're going to be jumping in um, mid-chapter there in verse uh, 17, and Lord willing, we will make it all the way through the end of the chapter. So I hope you have a copy of God's Word open there, uh, or some way in which you can follow along. 
Uh, but before we, be, before we jump in, uh, just to uh, maybe open with a bit of an illustration, how many of you uh, have seen the show Antique Roadshow, right? How many of you maybe have watched that at least some point? Well, if you've not watched it, uh, it's, a, it's a show where people bring in uh, small collectibles and a, a, some sort of appraiser, someone who knows uh, something about antiques, will then look at what they have, will appraise it, uh, we'll often give them a backstory to it, and then uh, we'll appraise it, and we'll tell them how much, how valuable it, it is. So many of us, we are familiar with that show, and, and if you've ever watched the show, I think we anticipate the storyline where a person brings in a small trinket that they found, maybe in an old shoebox in the attic, or where they bring something in. I know some of you enjoy going to antique, antique shops or, or maybe to different bargain centers, right? We anticipate the story or the person who brings in something that they found at the shelf of a Goodwill and they bought it for just pennies. And, and they brought it in and the appraiser looks at it and, and we, right, what are we hoping will happen, right? What do we want, right? We're, we want the, the appraiser to look at it right, to listen to the story of how the owner uh, found this, or maybe if it was passed down in f the family line. Uh, we want the, to hear the expert uh, give some background information, and then we, want, we wait for them to announce the value of the trinket. Are we wanting them to announce, like, uh, this, sorry, you've been holding on to a piece of junk, right, for, the, for, for, for all your life, right? What you were handed down, what your grandmother told you was very valuable, it's only valuable to you but no one else. What we want is we want when the appraiser, right, comes across and says, like, this is worth $10,000 or $20,000. I mean, that's the storyline that we're, that we're wanting, and, and we know that if there is very little value, the owner is disappointed, right? The owner kind of, I mean, you can just see it in their expression as you watch the show. They're, they're disappointed, uh, even though they've lost nothing, right? Understand, like they haven't lost a single penny. It's just there was no value in that to begin with. But if there is great value, there's a different response, isn't there? Right? There's a different response where the owner is elated and now the owner experiences uh, a heightened need to protect this object that maybe just a few months prior was sitting on the shelf of a Goodwill or, or in a shoebox up in the corner of the attic. Right? It's not that the object that was brought in, it's not that the object was assigned value by the antique appraiser, it's just that the appraiser has made the value known to the owner. All right, see, it's not the appraiser who is determining the value of the object. It's the appraiser who now brings to light, brings to understanding to this individual the value of it. And again, it changes if, if, it's, if it's brought to their understanding that this is a, an object of great value, how that object is treated going forward completely changes, doesn't it? Now, the owner cares for the item with much greater care. Uh, the owner might even uh, get a lockbox for the item. They might even get a, a lockbox at the bank and put the item in it. 
right? If the item has little value, the owner might decide to donate it back to Goodwill. (laughs) But if the item has great value, the owner is going to guard it and is going to keep it safe and is going to watch over it and care for it. This morning, as we study the book of Acts, okay, the title of this morning's sermon is value and care for the church, all right? Value and care. And in the book of Acts, what, we've, what, what has been described for us, it's a historical record of the, the beginning, the germination, and the growth of the church. We've been seeing how this new community of people believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, again, that's the foundation of, of what they believe, as, as that the news of this, as people have have declared it being witnesses of it they have gone and told others and this community has grown there in the region and to the other most to the ends of the earth and it's here through Paul's missionary journeys that Paul uh, he would go around taking this message of the resurrected savior of the resurrected Jesus and he would start churches he would help these churches, these new believers become rooted and established in the gospel and truth and love. And again, Paul, was, he was traveling from one city to the next, and he was starting all of these churches, right? We, we know Paul's method of operation is he would arrive in a city, he would go to the synagogue, he would d- debate with the religious rulers, he would seek to compel them to believe, and as people would, would believe, Paul would then, he would gather them and establish a church. He would raise up leaders. He would invest his life into uh, m- men who would help guard and watch over that church, and, and then he would put them in charge, and then he would move on to another city. He would entrust men uh, with the responsibility of caring for this church and instructing it. Well, in Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 17 through 30, 38, the Apostle Paul is calling together. He's calling together the church elders of the Ephesian church. Now, you remember last week there uh, in, in chapter 19, we, we spent some time uh, studying Paul's adventures there in, in the city of Ephesus. Paul spent about three years there investing in the, life, in, in the lives of the believers there. And now in chapter 20, Paul has actually traveled away from the city of Ephesus, but believing it necessary to invest a little bit more time and energy into these church leaders, he actually calls the church leaders to him. He's there in the city of Miletus. He calls the the leaders to him almost to have another leadership summit. Now, here's the basis of Paul's instruction. He's going to spend time, as, and we'll read, we'll read it here shortly. Paul is going to spend time helping these church leaders know uh, how to care for the body of believers well. But he bases the importance of it on the value of the church. On the value of the church. All right, if, if I might cut to the chase just for a bit, I want us to consider what Paul tells them how he declares, here's how important your work is as a church leader, as an elder. In fact, let's look quickly at verse 28, okay? So let's fast forward here. To, it's almost like when the, the antique appraiser 
shows up and he says, here's the value of the church. Here's how important these people are. And we see it here in verse 28 of chapter 20. Go ahead and look there in your Bible with me. And, and I, I want to establish this so that we, it, we we'll kind of build upon it uh, throughout the rest of the sermon. But you'll see there in verse 28, He's instructing these, these elders, these leaders of the church, and he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has, has made you overseers. He says, be shepherds of the church of God. Now, here it is. Which he bought with his own blood. Which he bought with his own blood. See, Paul tells us that as we are going, all right, as we're meeting with our neighbors for the Wednesday wake-ups, as we're, as we're going and declaring the gospel to our co-workers, we're, we're doing so because Jesus has bought, right? He has paid for their sin on the cross and we our hope is that that person will respond in faith and receive that free gift of forgiveness and as we gather then together as a church body paul is reminding them he is saying this work of witnessing this work of governing and overseeing the church body is of great importance why because the debt cost Jesus Christ his life. The debt of our sin was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are sitting here as a community of faith because Jesus died for our sins. And on the third day rose again. In fact, Peter also later in, in the New Testament, Peter instructs us in this way. He says, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such, such as silver or, or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter is joining with Paul in helping us to understand the value of the church. Paul is helping us to see that if people, believers, that if people are worth Christ's blood, Paul is saying, then they are also worth your labor and effort. Church, I want you even just for a moment, take part in this exercise and look around the room. You might feel weird, but all of us will feel weird together as we do this. Sitting beside you, look to your left. Well, not everyone look to your left, some of you. Every other chair look to your left and every other chair look to your right. Right, sitting beside you, behind you, in front of you, the children in the classrooms across the hallway and their teachers, 
those who believe in Christ Jesus, those who have entrusted their soul to his care, they have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Their worth, your worth, cannot be assigned a monetary price. It was not with silver or gold that you were purchased, but with the very blood of Jesus Christ. The church matters. You matter. Your involvement, your labor for the church is significant. The time and the energy that you invest in the lives of other people in the church, the time and energy you invest in sharing the good news of Jesus with your neighbors is of great importance. Church, we give our time and our energy to things of far lesser value. And so the argument that Paul is presenting to us in these verses, especially as Paul is speaking specifically to church leaders, but there is certainly application for all of us. Paul is saying that if the church is worth Christ's blood, then the church is worth your time and energy. And in fact, the big idea for this morning's sermon is that the church is valuable. Care for her well. The church is valuable. Care for the church well. Take it seriously. Take your involvement seriously. And this morning, we're going to be instructed in three different ways. Paul's going to tell us not to shrink back. Paul is going to tell us to stand guard over the church. And then Paul is going to tell us to live it out. To live it out. And so in these various ways that we're going to see this morning, hopefully uh, the Lord will challenge us uh, to care for the church well. And to come to it. Like Jesse did such a wonderful job, right? Priming the pump for us this morning in the songs that he, that he chose. Reminding us of the cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus paid it all. And so this morning, let's look here at the first word of instruction. Paul says, don't shrink back. Go ahead and look with me there in verses 17 uh, through 27. I'll go ahead and read verses 17 and 19. Here's what we're told. It says, from, from, Miletus, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. I think the fact that Paul calls to himself <clears throat> the elders of the church, it reminds us of the importance of the organization in a church body, that it is helpful to have some sort of structure Right? That, that can help govern and, and direct and guide the church family. And we see here that Paul, 
he went around and he would establish elders in those churches. And so what Paul wanted to do is he wanted to meet with the elders of this church of Ephesus. And Paul knew that if he went back to the city of Ephesus to meet with them, that the people would convince him to probably stay a long time because there was such a close relationship that Paul had with the people there. And so rather than going back to Ephesus to meet with them, he calls them uh, to meet with him here in the city of Miletus. And so starting here in verse 18, Paul recounts his ministry among them and how he served them with humility and tears, how Paul served them in endurance through trials and the persecution that came against him. And then we go on and we look in verses 20 through 21, Paul says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly And from house to house, he says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Now, in verse 20, Paul uses this wonderful phrase in the NIV in the translation that you probably you might have open in front of you. It says he says, I have not hesitated to preach anything to you that would be helpful to you. In other translations, maybe in the translation there and sitting in your lap, it might say something to the extent of I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And then again in verse 27, Paul reiterates that he did not hesitate or he did not shrink back. In this language, Paul is reminding the church elders that he did not retreat from preaching and teaching the fullness of who God is and the fullness of of who God has called us to be in In Jesus Christ, Paul is saying that he did not cower in what needed to be said. Paul did not go and pick and choose the easy truths and sidestep the difficult truths. Paul didn't just put his finger up to the winds of culture, trying to figure out what would be received well by the people, what would tickle their ears or maybe maybe gain him publicity on, on some sort of social media platform. No, instead, it says Paul did not shrink back. An interesting note is that when Paul later writes Timothy, and and many of us are familiar with the books of 1 and 2 Timothy, aren't we? And and we understand that that Paul invested his life into Timothy. Well, Well, Timothy also was one who was ministering there in the city of Ephesus. Who knows? Maybe Timothy was there with this group of elders. But later in the letters that Paul writes to Timothy, uh, Paul instructs Timothy with these words. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, Paul, in that letter, he's telling Timothy, who's, who, who's, who's invest, Timothy, who also is investing his life into the, into the church, into the believers, Paul tells Timothy, he says, don't shrink back from teaching all of Scripture. As one commentator shares, the whole counsel of God, or all of Scripture, is relevant, applicable, and needful to every generation in every culture throughout the entire church age. There will be no situation in which it will be any less profitable 
than it was for those under Paul and Timothy's ministries. May God give us, this commentator says, may God give us grace, courage, tact, and insight as we seek to set forth the entirety of God's word before his people. Young person, God has given us his word to reveal to us who he is and who we are to be in him. Do you take his word seriously? Study it. Apply it. Confident that it will equip you for every good work in this world, in this life. We're told here that all of God's word, Paul says, I didn't shrink back, right? Paul says, I I didn't cower in fear. I wasn't afraid of what people might think. All of God's word is necessary because it helps us to know who God is. It helps us to know who we should be in, in Christ Jesus. The whole counsel of God prepares us to live in this world and the world to come. And when we sidestep the difficult teachings, right, church, when we cower back, Right? When, we, when, we, when we know in our mind, I should probably go and stick my arm around that person and in love, share with them this particular truth. When we, when we cower from doing that, we are doing that person a disservice and instead we are putting ourselves over the other person because we, we don't want them to not like us. Or, or, or we're not sure what they might think of us if I bring this hard truth to their understanding. I think this is an important instruction both to the pastor and to the church member. That there is a responsibility that the church member has in receiving the instruction with humility and trust, applying God's word to their lives, and then also coming alongside others and in teaching and instructing them in it too. Did you notice how Paul, he says he, he taught both publicly and from house to house. Did you see that? We get this understanding that Paul was very personable. Right? You think about Paul. He's, he's not only debating in the synagogues. He's not only preaching in the public square. But Paul is spending his time. He spent his time there in the city of Ephesus for three years. And what did he do? He went and met with the people. He would have eaten meals in homes. Teaching along the way. I can, I can think of Paul maybe sitting with a family at the fireside, maybe singing psalms and spiritual songs together. Or think about maybe Paul even playing with, with children out in the yard, and as they're playing, he's applying deep truths in easy-to-understand ways. Or think of Paul as, he, as he's going from house to house, not shrinking back, maybe even sitting at the bedside of a suffering and dying believer, comforting them with words of promise and words of great hope. See, Paul came alongside. He didn't shrink back. Then in verses 22 through 27, here's what Paul says. It says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. 
My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among that, that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. I want you to understand, church, like think about what Paul Paul is saying goodbye to these people, to these these Ephesian, these elders, these these church leaders whom he loves. Right? At this point in time, Paul doesn't know if he's ever going to see them again. So therefore, he says, therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. In these verses, verses 22 through 27, Paul declares that it is worth giving up his life for the sake of proclaiming the good news of God's grace in Christ Jesus. Paul likens himself, he compares himself almost to like that of an accountant who's carefully weighing the credits and the expenses, right? It's, 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 it's as if he's saying, what, is, is it really worth me giving up my life for the cause of Christ? And Paul, as he adds it all up, he looks, he circles the total and he says, yes, it's worth it all and I do it all over again. Paul came to realize that the joys of living for the Lord far outweighed the joys of living for himself. Church, have you tasted that joy? Young person, what are you seeking after in this life? Well, we go on then, and he gives us another instruction. The first one then is, is don't shrink back, right? <laughs> Give them Jesus. The second one then is this, is to stand guard. Paul continues, he's giving direct instruction to these church, these church elders in verses 28 through 31. Here's what he says. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought, there it is, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw draw away disciples after them. So what does he say? So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, again, he's, he's going back to when he spent those three years with them in, in, in the city of Ephesus. He says, remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. The instruction that Paul gives to the elders is this, stand guard. As many of you uh, were here on Wednesday evening, as we remembered the life of Margot Davis and celebrated uh, God's grace, his work in her life, and certainly sought to lift up high the name of Jesus. Uh, after that evening was over and many of you had gone home, uh, there were some circumstances that kept my family here for a period of time after that, but I'll save the details of that for another illustration. Uh, but instead, as we were here late into the evening hours on Wednesday evening, it may have been around 10 o'clock or so, um, our children were um, 
were sitting outside in the car that we had kind of pulled up in front of the, okay, so we lost our keys. Our keys got thrown into the trash. All right, I'll tell you that much, okay? So we spent the evening looking through the trash. We didn't find them. So we piled all of our children into my little blue car. It was a memorable experience. And uh, so Marin and I were just kind of looking, giving it one more last look over, and, uh, and our car was parked out here in front just along the sidewalk, and all the kids were piled up right in the back. And, um, and there was this suspicious person who walked past the sidewalk several times. So we got out there to leave, and we saw this suspicious character. He was, he was looking into windows, right? He would go from one storefront look into the window, and then he would go to the next storefront, look into the window, and just, he was going back and forth. And so uh, the children said, yeah, he made us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And I can understand, I was a bit uncomfortable too. And so we, I mean, like we are never, I am, um, we are always looking for another exciting opportunity. And so we parked, we thought, what should we do? Marin said, well, let's just go ahead and call the J-Town police just in case. So we went and kind of parked, shut the lights off, kept our eye on this guy, and uh, we called the J-Town police, and we thought, well, should we wait or not? It's getting late. What should we do? I'm like, well, this, I mean, come on, this could be exciting, right? So we'll wait, and the kids are, are watching. They're sitting in there, and then one of the police cars pulls up, and then another police car pulls up, and um, so we're watching it, and um, all of a sudden, um, and I don't know why I'm crying about this, but it was just funny. Uh, all of a sudden, as we're watching the police pull in, Merritt, he leans forward and he goes, oh, and the policemen are advancing. It was like, it was like an episode of Cops. You know, like I just was waiting for them to say, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? And so we, we, and, and so we are all just glued, fixated on this. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to catch us? Oh, and the policemen are advancing, is what Merritt says. And, uh, and so and they ended up actually putting the guy in the cruiser and hauling him away. We don't know what all the story was. But it was interesting. Like, why, why did we, why were we concerned? Why were we concerned? Because there's valuable things in this storefront, aren't there? Right? There's valuable stuff. I mean, yeah, sure, it's stuff, but it, there's still value to it. If it, like, if, if this guy had been peering in people's trash cans, I'd be like, okay, no big deal, right? He gets someone's trash, okay, good for him. One man's trash is another man's treasure. I should probably be called out for that too. But he was peering into windows where behind it, was valuable stuff. And so we were vigilant in that. We were concerned about it. We, in a sense, right, we had kind of assigned ourselves the role of standing guard, of watching over it. And we see that Paul tells the instruction. He gives the instruction to the elders for them. What does he say? He says, stand guard. Watch over. But notice, Paul's first instruction is not what? Stand guard over the people, but what is his first instruction to them? He says, keep watch over who? Yourself. He says, keep watch. 
over yourself. The instruction given to the elders is for them to first stand guard over their own lives before they stand guard over the lives of their flock. The first order of business is for a shepherd to guard his own heart. See, the pastor can only effectively shepherd the church if he has first watched over his own life. Again, in his letter to Timothy, Paul instructs Timothy in this way. He says, watch, he says, Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I would say that we can take this truth and apply it even to some of you who are maybe leading a Bible study. Even speaking with one of you this morning who's leading a Bible study with another group of ladies and and bringing a concern of of something that was mentioned in the study itself. And, And you, in expressing the concern, making sure that what you're teaching is true and consistent with the Scripture. The importance of making sure that our own hearts are right with the Lord before we seek to shepherd and guide and direct others. See, the life of a pastor, I, we can even say the life of a Bible study leader Right? The life of a pastor will affect the life of a church. The life of a, of a Bible study leader will affect the, the life of the Bible study. The pastor who is not guarding his own heart will be like the museum security guard who has fallen asleep. The other day as I was visiting Clayton in the hospital, there was a gentleman wearing a security guard uh, uh, outfit. He was sitting there at the parking lot waiting, wearing this outfit, but he was... his. his he never looked up from his phone. He was doing this. I'm like, you are no security guard. Because <laughs> I could have just gotten away with robbery while you're scrolling on your phone. Said you're not standing guard. See, Paul gives the instructions to these elders. He says, stand guard first over your own lives. And what role does that also play for us as a church congregation? It's important that you pray for your pastors. And that God would keep their own hearts accountable. More and more it seems that you see pastors falling, being disqualified from the ministry. Because they've failed to guard their hearts. And the impact that that has on church congregations can be completely devastating causing people to walk away from the faith. Causing people to be divided within what may have been a formerly unified congregation. And then he goes on, he says, the, church, the pastor then, the elders, he says, should guard the church. Why? Because there are savage wolves circling the flock. He says, even some wolves that may have disguised themselves within the flock. He says, Paul is saying there's danger from both outside and inside. And he says, the shepherd must 
be standing guard. He must be vigilant. At all costs, the church leaders should be guarding against false teaching. At all costs, the church leaders should be guarding against secular creeds. And church, be careful that you too don't fall into the trap and thinking that we're making too big of a deal about maybe some sort of biblical doctrine that doesn't square with worldly opinion. The church leader has been called to guard against that. Why? Because we are so easily swayed. That's why Paul said in a couple verses previous, he said, I reminded you every day with tears. Every day, Paul says. Why do we need reminders every day? Because the attack is that serious. Because TikTok and social media and news headlines can be that compelling that if our hearts aren't being guarded by it, we will be swept up in its current. And so at all costs, we should guard against false teaching, against secular creeds and agendas, against manipulation and threats. We should guard against perverse and deceitful doctrines. We should guard against greed and selfish ambition. We should guard against crafty and twisted teachings and heresy. Anything that would threaten the church and its members. Anything that would be like the savage wolves who are circling the flock. And then we also know that at the same time, right, as the elders are guarding against that, that at the same time, it's the responsibility of the church members to submit to the leadership, to trust their leaders. That's where Hebrews, we're told, the author of Hebrews says this. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Right? You, you remember Paul's instruction is that there's profit in teaching God's word. It's profitable. But when you don't obey God's word, when you don't trust God's word, apply it to your lives, when you're unwilling to live according to God's word against the tide of culture, what is it? It's unprofitable for you then. It's in verse 31 again where Paul said he never stopped warning them day and night with tears to hold fast to the truth. To hold fast to Jesus. And why do we guard the church? Why do we care for the church in this way? Because she is valuable. How valuable? Jesus gave his life for you and for me. And this makes our job, our task, a sacred responsibility to guard and shepherd the church, to watch out for one another. And then finally, Paul concludes his instruction to the Ephesian elders here. With this instruction, he's going to say, I'm going to summarize it with that, the instruction to live it out. 
Paul concludes his instruction with the example of his life. The actions and the habits of Paul's life provided commentary on his preaching and his leadership. Paul was able to say, and I, and I don't believe that this was in, in, in any type of proud, it wasn't a, a proud way, but instead it should be, it should be all of our hope and intent to be able to look at other people and to say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ physically is not walking around for people to see, but you are. And Paul understood that the example of Jesus Christ was to be lived out in him. And, and understand, a good imitation always points to the original. Right? A good imitation always wants to be mistaken for the original. Right? What is the goal of the Aldi brand Diet Cola? is to be mistaken in a, in a blind taste test that it's actually Diet Coke. That's the goal. And so Paul, he, he's giving them this instruction. He's saying, look at my life that I lived among you. Verses 32 through 35, he says this. He says, now I commit to you God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, you must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord himself, of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You might say that here in these words, Paul wants them to know that he practiced what he preached. He wasn't just there for for financial gain. He wasn't there for, for, for motives where he was trying to seek power and position. Right? Paul is encouraging the people to study the word of grace, to hold fast to it, to understand it better, to dig themselves more deeply in it, to study their Bibles with earnestness, he says. Right? That's why he gave his life to them so that they would become students of God's word and apply it that they would be full of God's grace, that every truth would be quick to flow from their lips. Paul wants the people to understand that his motivation was to serve the Lord by caring for his church. Paul gave his life for it. And it's interesting then that Paul, at the end, there he brings up the fact of how, uh, how he helped the weak, giving generously to those in need. Paul is giving us evidence of great care that he had for the church. And, and what came to mind is where James tells us that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That Paul says that, that by caring for the weak, right, by, by giving, finding the blessedness of giving, and realizing it's more blessed to give than to receive, that, that Paul says the application, like this is the truth, this is what we're guarding against, and this is how it is, it is going to be displayed in our lives as a church body, is that we will care for those who can never repay us. That we will care for those who do not have the financial means to give back that we will care for one another in such a way that we'll be willing to give our entire lives 
to this task because it's in doing, it's in caring in those ways, right? That Jesus Christ is displayed in us. That, that the way Jesus Christ cared for us and what was that bottom line way that shows the great value of his church? He gave his own blood. He gave his own blood. Verses 36 and 38, the chapter concludes that when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with them all and he prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and they kissed him. It says what grieved them most was a statement that he would never see, that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. This reminds us that Paul was not someone who just dispensed doctrine and, and preached hard sermons and then just kind of walked off the, the stage. But instead that Paul was a warm, he was a pastoral man who loved his people greatly. And in doing so, he won great love from them. Church, you are valuable care for this body well don't shrink back from being willing to say the hard truths don't shrink back from it be willing to come alongside one another in love and concern. Stand guard. Hold one another accountable. Make sure that we're not being swept into the tide of, of secular creeds and secular culture. Hold your pastors, hold me accountable. Be good Bereans who search scriptures and are making sure that the pastor, what the pastor is preaching and what is taught from this from this pulpit is true to Scripture so that we might then live it out. The church is valuable. Care for her well. And this morning, as we do each week, we find ourselves at the Lord's table. It's yet another reminder it's again, a, it's another reminder of the price Jesus paid for the church. Why? Because of the great debt that we owed God. Our sin is an eternal debt that can never be repaid other than if there's a perfect sacrifice, one who will stand in our place, who is pleasing to the Lord because of his, sin, his sinless life. And that was Jesus Christ. God came from heaven, left heaven, took on flesh, lived the life of obedience that you and I are unable to live, and died the death so that we wouldn't have to, paying for our salvation. 
And on the third day, Jesus rose again from the grave. That's the message that Paul and all these are proclaiming. Jesus is alive. The, the debt has been paid. It is finished. Believe in him. So this morning, as a church family, we remember the cross of Jesus by participating in the Lord's table. If you're a follower of